morning, everybody. Well, God bless Iowa. Are we still in Nebraska? I'm sorry, did I miss something? Now, we do about 60 seminars a year. This is our 28th year, and we've been all over the country. And uh, I love to go to Texas, because Texas is different. You go to Texas, you say, God bless Texas. I don't care what city you're in. You say, God bless Texas, a revival will break out. They'll stand and holler and hoot and shout, and they get excited. I said, well, I'm glad you all love Texas. And I said, now, personally, I'm an Okie. And the greatest thing about being an Okie is whipping a Texan. <laughs> we'd rather whip you than anybody. It always gets quiet when you say that. I'll sing about the song this morning. Uh, we had a, in my high school, we were mostly all backslidden Baptists. We had a few Pentecostals. We had three Catholics, three Catholic kids. And uh, I love the Catholic kids. They're always happy for some reason. And, uh, but they'd sign your yearbook the same every year. And here's what they would sign. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. I thought, it must be a Catholic saint. Because they all sign it the same way every year. Well, then, you know, years later, I got spirit-filled and then finally went to Bible school. And I realized in Bible school, that's not a Catholic saying. That's a biblical saying. <laughs> it's all the Bible. So I'm going to read this to you. It's out of Numbers chapter uh, 6, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people with this special blessing. Well, this is a command from God. Tell them to bless the people with this special blessing. And this citizens again. May the Lord bless you protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. Then, number says, whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. And so, how are you going to get blessed? Somebody's got to say it. You know, as a father, as a grandfather, I realize uh, the only blessing that's going to come on my family is what I speak. There's no such thing as luck. Well, we just had bad luck. No, you didn't. We just got, they just got lucky. No, they didn't. There's no such thing as luck. There's God, the devil, heaven, and hell, wind between like an Oreo cookie. <laughs> and that's why God said, you get to choose. Life, death, bless, curse. Choose who you're going to serve. So, uh, in the Hebrew dictionary, the blessing is an impartation of the supernatural power of God into a human life by the spoken word. How does God get in your life? Somebody's got to say it. So I speak over my kids all the time. You're blessed. You're highly favored. Now, when you go to Israel, and I went to Israel, uh, my last trip was three years ago. I've been three times, and uh, I love because I love the Jewish people because they're just meaner than snot. And you just love them. And, uh, and because, uh, you know, they're about the size of Rhode Island, but uh, they're on the news every day. You know, every day. I don't care what's on the news. Israel's going to be on the news somewhere today. And this, this country the size of Rhode Island has got the whole world captivated. You know, the day they became a nation, 1948, uh, seven nations attacked them on that day. They didn't have an army. They didn't have anything. And they were attacked because the Arabs hated them. And so a war broke out. And so you got, you know, you got the six-day war and three-day war and the nine-day war. Well, every time a war broke out, the, the Jews, they won. It was funny. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, the first war, uh, what they did, they had one Piper Cub airplane. They didn't have an Air Force yet. 
They got a piper. Now they got one today. You don't want to mess with them. But back then they had a piper cub and they learned if they dropped empty beer bottles on the oncoming tanks coming up out of Egypt, uh, it made a whistling sound. <whistles> and it scared people. And so I'm not making this up. You can Google it. And so the Egyptians were coming up all the desert, tanks, this, that, I mean hundreds of them. And all of a sudden this piper cub dropping these empty beer bottles. Well, the Egyptians, they panicked and they abandoned the tanks. They ran back to Egypt. So the first tanks Israel got were Egyptian tanks. And there's a ton of them. And so uh, every war, three-day war, six-day war, they took, they took over part of Egypt and the UN made them give it back. Okay, you can have it back. And so I used to tell people, don't, don't mess with the Jewish people. They're God's people. Uh, we're not in the Jewish age. We're in the church age right now. We're in the greatest age of human history. People being saved everywhere. And God's moving like a freight train. Now, heathens don't know that because all they watch the news. And news is a lie. There's nothing true on the news. Uh, God doesn't have a news channel. I don't care what they call them. It's not God. Every time Jesus did a miracle, the first thing he'd tell somebody, shh, don't tell anybody. God's not a show off. The devil's a show off. He'll get billboards and signs and tell you you're going to die. And, and so because I'm the, um, when we go to Israel, what happens is on the Sabbath, they take, they take church seriously in Israel. The Jews do. So on the Sabbath, they show up at sundown on Friday. I don't care if you're in a fancy hotel or a kibbutz, wherever we're staying. And I've been there three different times. And every time Friday, you got to realize you can't get any hot food on the Sabbath. They don't cook anything. You know, it's a boiled egg from yesterday. And so the Jews show up at sundown and they bring, they, they fill up, the, we were in some big hotel, big high rise hotel. And so our guide came, come in here and let me show what's going to happen. So the Jews start pouring in, they bring their bathing suits, the musical instruments, and, and they all smoke. It's the smokingest bunch of people I've ever seen. And they gather in the lobby, and for, tw for 24 hours, it's nonstop noise. <laughs> they holler, they shout, they dance, they scream, they play stuff. It's just noise. And then, uh, sun up on Saturday, the Sabbath, the father, not the mother, the father gets the kids dressed, gets them ready, and he walks them to the local synagogue. Moms love the Sabbath in They don't have to do nothing. It's different here in America. Moms do everything. But mom says they don't know anything. Dad gets them dressed. Dad walks them down to the synagogue. Dad walks them back to the hotel. But then a sundown on Saturday is a fascinating thing. And so sundown on Saturday, right before they end the Sabbath, you'll see all the families. We were about just 12-story hotel, but you could see, which came out on the back, you could look down on the lobby floor. And so all the families get in a circle. All the families get in a circle. That family gets a circle, this family. And then they get in a circle, and then the elder man of the family, the grandfather of the father, will walk around that circle and lay hands on every kid in that family. Now he's speaking in Hebrew, and I don't know Hebrew, I don't understand it, so I'm listening to my God. He's what the guy, what, what he said, what this guy's saying, the father of the grandfather, when he's praying over those children, he's praying, may the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May the Lord make you as Ephraim, and he prays it over every kid. And what he's praying is, may the Lord make you spiritually strong and economically creative. May God make you spiritually strong and economically creative. Now, if you're a Jewish child, your daddy, your granddaddy has laid hands on your head 52 times a year, your whole life, and said, may God make you spiritually strong and economically creative. And so you know they're filthy, stinking rich. You ever met a poor Jew? <laughs> I haven't. 
You read Forbes 400 richest people in America are the richest. Uh, Jews make up 40% of those. They make up 2% of our nation, but they control almost all the wealth. Why? They know how to make money. Every time they light that candle, you know, Hanukkah, what's that candle that God prospered us this year? We're blessed and highly favored. Everything we set our hand to prospers. It's in the scripture. And they expect that. Uh, Jewish children, you don't see Jewish children reading any dumb books. Most all hardback books sold in America are bought by Jewish families. Now, we're the ones reading stupid novels. Uh, Jews don't read novels. They only read true stuff. They study history. And so at age 13, if you're a Jewish child, you become an adult. They have a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah, whether you're male or female. At age 13, everybody shows up uh, at a local hotel. And I've been in hotels. Last one's up was up in uh, uh, Michigan, and uh, they had a big celebration going on that weekend. So the rabbi comes in with the kid, goes to a room, and he grills this kid on the five books of the law. And that kid by age 13 pretty much has to have the five books of the law memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He has to have that pretty much memorized. And so after four hours, they come out, and then everybody starts showing up. Now, they are dressed to a T. I mean, gowns and hats and whatever. They bring in an orchestra. They cater in a meal. And they put that kid in a chair, and they dance that kid all over the, all over the floor that night. Well, they celebrate. He just became a man. He's not a mature man until he turns 30, but he's a man at age 13. In America, I've taught on family for 30 years. I know what American families do. Shut up and go to your room. I'll be glad you're out of my house. You're dumber than dirt. You're not going to mount the hill of beans. The Bible says life and death in the power of the tongue. What have we done? We've reproduced ourselves with our mouth. God said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak sound strong. Let the poor sound rich. Call those things that be not as though they are. And so there's, there's a turn going around. Will you believe it or not? God's moving like a freight train. Now, God's always a minority. He's never the majority. People say, well, you know, America's going to, you know, wherever in a handbag. No, it's not. No, America's blessed. We're, we're doing really, really good. We live in the greatest day of human history. If you read the book of Luke, Jesus talked about the last days. We're in the last days because I'm going to show you something. My family all panics. I'm the only preacher in my family. The only one I happen to be Pentecostal. It messes with all of them. Because my dad's got 12 brothers and sisters, so does my father-in-law. So if something happens, the phone will light up. And so I'm not just Joe, I'm Brother Joe. Brother Joe, you got a minute? Yes, I do. Because they're, they're afraid. Because when COVID hit, they thought that was it. Jesus is coming. Going to store up our dried food and some water and get a gas mask and buy some generator. Because this is the end. I said, no, it's not the end. It's just somebody went wacky in Wuhan. Jesus said, Jesus said when he comes back, people will be eating and drinking and marrying and buying and selling and building and planting. Jesus said, let's see, he lied. Jesus said it'll be business as usual when he comes back to this planet. When Jesus, when the trumpet sounds, Walmart will be packed. Every restaurant will be full. People will be at the lake. People will be on the golf course. Because most people are not going to be looking for him. God said, when I come back to earth, will I be able to find faith? What's he looking for? Faith. Hebrews says, without faith, you don't please God. Without faith, you can't whip the devil. What's faith? Just believe what this book says. How do you get that? Well, you need to be in a good local church. Listen to your pastor. Fellowship with the saints. Don't watch, feed on, listen to stupid. You know, stupid is what stupid does. That was in a famous movie. <laughs> so you got to watch it. Feed on. So when the COVID thing hit last year, Man, my phone lit up and all my family, they're calling. 
So you think this is the end? No. What do you think is going on? Somebody Wuhan went stupid. Well, are we going to get it? I don't plan to get it. You can get it if you want to. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's free. Now, my drugstore in my town that I go to on a regular basis to buy just local stuff because I'd rather go to the drugstore than Walmart, and I hate Walmart. It's too big. So everything's used in my local drugstore. But at my drugstore, if I pull in my drugstore, they have uh, two drive throughs in the back for people to come in to get prescription stuff. One is strictly and nothing but getting tested for COVID. And for $95, they'll test you. $95. $95, they'll find out whether you got it or not. I think I got it. Well, pay $95 to find out. Or you can just wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long introduction and a short sermon. I'm just telling you right now. Now, this is what I do with all my family. I have this printed out. I've had this for years. Uh, I was an engineer for 12 years, and God dealt with me, and I went back to Bible school, and spent several years in the Bible school, and got out and got on the church staff, and then I was the administrator of a Christian school. And so I taught chapel every day, 171 days a year, to nothing but seniors. I have the seniors, because I realize just because you're in a Christian school doesn't mean you're Christian. There are a lot of idiots in Christian schools. And so I need to make sure you know who you are in Him, in whom in Christ, where you get out of here, or this is going to be a waste of money. And so what I would do is uh, <laughs> my family would call. I've always kept this list, and so I'll just briefly go over it. These are the eight major economic crises in the last century in America. Now, I've taught this so many times. For 5,000 years, nothing on this planet changed. Nothing. But turn of the century, a little over 100 years ago, everything changed. We got electricity, and we got power everywhere, and we got automobiles and cars and airplanes. And man, we started moving like a freight train. It got computers and science. It just, it just took off. In the last days, God said it would do that. But God hasn't changed. He's still on the throne. Everything's normal. God's not wringing his hands. He's not panicking. Ooh, we better go get him. I think it's about to go over. I don't know. So this is it. The crash of 29. This is the first one. Uh, this is I've taught in history for years. Crash of 29 led to the Great Depression. You remember the Great Depression? What happened? Well, the stock market crashed. There were people in New York that jumped off buildings and committed suicide. They got videos of them killing themselves. Why? They went broke. But what they don't tell you is at the same time in 1929, some people became billionaires. Billionaires, not millionaires. AT&T came out of that bunch. Some people, they didn't kill themselves, they just got filthy, stinking rich. There's only two groups of people. Good to bad, righteous, unrighteous, godly, ungodly. There's only two groups. It's not a third group. Every day we get to choose. God said, separate life, death, blessing, cursing. You choose. And so I've patted my kids their whole life. If you're going to be an idiot, you're going to have to choose to be an idiot because God's trying to save you. That was deep. <laughs> World War I from July 1914 to 1918, 16 million were killed, 20 million were wounded, known as the Great War. All those countries got together. But it ended. We thought, well, we'll never have another one of those. Well, we did. World War II, biggest, deadliest war in history, involving 30 countries, sparked the 1939 Nazi invasion of Poland, and the war took 80 million people. A lot of people died. We thought, well, the world's coming to an end. No, it was just, it was just Hitler. He, he died too. I, I don't think he went to heaven. <laughs> just my opinion. The 1973 embargo, the OPEC embargo. Now I remember this because in my little old town, 
uh, we had a little kale gas station, a little country town in East Tennessee. You go to the gas station, gasoline was 25 cents a gallon. Whoa. Well, it jumped to $1.80 a gallon in a, a week. And then they would only sell you 10 gallon of gas. So there were long lines. This was in the 70s. There were long, I mean, it was over a mile long down that little country road where we're trying to get gas. People ran, they ran out of gas waiting in line. Old people, young people, grandmas ran out of gas. Somebody had to push their car in. There were fist fights at the gas station because sometimes they'd run out. We ran out. We didn't have that much to begin with. When you bought it, you could only get 10 gallons. Well, we didn't have things that got good mileage back then. If you had anything that got 12 miles a gallon, you had a good car. And so, man, there were five people. The world's coming to an end. No, it's just OPEC. <laughs> 81, the early recession. Last from July 81 to November 82, interest rates went through the ceiling. You know, I just bought a new house back then. And man, when I closed out, I was paying like 12% interest on that loan. That thing cost me more money. Oh, man, somebody flushed the toilet and the handle was held down. 1987, Black Monday. The Dow dropped 508 points in one day. Now, if you ever watch the stock market, and I've had stock most of my life, but I just sold all of it, got rid of it. I don't lose stock anymore. And so, but if you watch the stock market, it might jump two points or drop 0.8, might hit 5.7, but nothing moves 508 points and it, the bottom fell out. Companies went broke, went belly up. Toys R Us, uh, Merrill Lynch, a lot of them just, what happened? They went belly up broke. What happened? Money. It disappeared. It's the end. No, no, no. It's just a stock market crash. 2001, the dot-com crash. That lasted about two years. Well, dot-com, you know, computers are kind of new back then. And so we had one. And so what is it? What's a dot-com? I don't even know what a dot-com is. Well, it's going to hit you eventually. Then 2008, the Great Recession. Lehman Brothers, AIG, Merrill Lynch, uh, Bank of America, uh, they all went belly up. And people were caught. Joe, what do you think this is? Well, it's just stupidity. People are greedy. They had too big a loan. They took out too much money. They had no savings account. They didn't stick anything aside. You know, it's America today. 97% of all Americans have no budget. We're the most educated nation in the world, whether you believe that or not. But 97% of all Americans have no budget. They don't know how much they owe, how much they own, or where it goes. They don't care. I just need more money. I have more money. Well, you're not going to get it because God's got a stewardship. Until you take care of what you got, he won't give you any more. The parable of the talents, five, two, and one. God gives you more if you take care of what you got. If you don't take what you got, you're going to lose what you've got. That's why a lot of family members, I got, I got big family. You know, that's like, we're broke. Yep, probably are. You ever have a budget? What's that? Well, yeah, you got to get a book. It's, a, it's in a book. So here's the short sermon. This is, in the page, this is where your pages are stuck together in your Bible. This is Numbers chapter 13. <laughs> so, so what we have here, we have Moses and the children of Israel about to go into the promised land. Now, you know the history. Cecil B. DeMille's made a great movie about it. Uh, drought hit several times. Abraham ran off the promised land and ran to Egypt, and God had to run him back. And then he ran off to Egypt again, tried to give his wife away twice. That's the father of our faith. Who's the father of your faith? Abraham tried to give his wife away twice. Man of God. <laughs> so he goes back. Then he dies. The son takes over. Isaac gets it. Drought hits again. Where's drought at? The promised land, the land of plenty, the land that God gave his people. What's going on? Well, the devil's against them. The devil's trying to run them off the promised land. 
If God gives you something, you have to fight for it. It's just not free. If anything's free, it's not worth having. Saying, so you want something that's free? No, I do not, because it's, it's worthless. Free stuff's worthless. Good stuff you got to work for. It's sort of a biblical principle. So anyhow, got out of Egypt, you know, and so I was just trying to go down. Then later on, you know, you got the, got the father of the faith, the 12 sons, you know, sold one son in slavery, Joseph, dumped him in a hole, and then he sold him, so he's down there in Egypt. So anyhow, he just took over the prison, you know, he's just trying to do what he's, because he'd had a dream. He saw all of his family bowing down to him, even his mom and dad. And he told the family, and that made him real popular. Don't share everything. Anyhow, eventually he moved up to be the second most powerful person on planet Earth. Who are you? Well, I used to be a slave in charge of the prison. Now I'm the second most powerful person on this planet. Why? Because I can interpret dreams. Because God gave me that ability. So Pharaoh hired him, made him second in charge. Got himself a beautiful wife, nice house, good chariot. So the brothers come down because they're starving. They made a movie out of hey, tried to trick him. Finally, he hugged the neck and brought him down. And so when they came down to meet Pharaoh, there were 30 pharaohs in the history of Egypt. 27 were city pharaohs, three were country pharaohs. When the Israel's, when Israel's people are down there, when Joseph, this is the first country pharaoh. And so when his family came down, he said, what are you? Well, we're shepherds. We've got sheep and cattle and we're, we're shepherds. He said, well, I'm a shepherd because he's one of the first country. So I'll tell you, I'm going to give you the land of Goshen. It's got the best land out there. It's got the greatest grass. And you'll love that. So Pharaoh loved them when they came down. Gave them great land. Well, three Pharaohs later, the third country Pharaoh died, and the next city Pharaoh took over. We, man, these Jews, we got, they're breeding like rabbits. It's paraphrase, but it's Hebrew. They're multiplying. How many? God said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. And they took that literally. Have you ever met a small Jewish family? Ever? No. Why? God told them, be fruitful, multiply. And they do. And they're real smart. So anyhow, so anyhow, they go through the whole thing, and then, you know, the ten plagues, and, you know, Moses, and we got this big stick, you know, and, and all the stuff happens, and the Red Sea parts, and the Egyptian army drowns. So we're finally to the promised land. I shortened all that up. It's in your Bible. You can read it. So we're there at the promised land. So here we are. We're, for 400 years, we've been waiting to get to the promised land. 400 years. We're finally here. We're going to live in houses we didn't build, eat from vineyards we didn't plant. Praise God, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> so, I'll read, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I still study the King James. I just don't speak King James. I speak modern English, so I like the New Living Translation. Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. And uh, he sent one man from each tribe to command them to go and spy out the land to see if it was like God said. Now, here's a man famous. They made movies about him. What are you doing, Moses? Well, I'm not sure God told the truth. Everybody does it. So we're going to go, I need to check it out. So we're going to go in. So I'm going to jump down to verse 17. Moses gave his men uh, strict instructions, sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev, through the hill country. See what the land is like. Find out whether the people there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good? Is it bad? Do their towns have walls? Are they fertile? Are they poor? Are they many trees? I mean, he's asking 100 questions. Somebody's writing it down. Hold on. Hebrew's real big. I can't do that. So they went up and they explored the land from the wilderness 
to Zen. And from Rehoboth all the way down to Namath. And that goes down to, so verse 23, when they came to the valley of Eshcol, they sat down, or they cut down a branch of grapes. And of course they've got, and if you go to Israel, they've got this thing of two men carrying this big, you know, stick with these huge grapes. When I say grapes, I mean like cantaloupes. I mean, they're huge. Is that's not a grape, that's a cantaloupe. No, that's a grape. Man, that was a fertile land. And so it took two men to carry one cluster. Now I buy grapes all the time at the grocery store. I got some in my room that the pastor gave me. I love grapes. Sit there and pop them. I wonder, well, I can't imagine it taking two men to carry my grapes into my room. That's some hefty grapes. They cut down with a single cluster of grapes so large it took two of them to carry it on the pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and the figs. And the place was the valley of Esther, which, which the men went to. And here it's about to get interesting right here. Uh, 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 because the cluster of grapes uh, this like they cut there. In verse 25, uh, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel. Now you've got to say, Israel has been waiting 40 days. What are we going to do? Well, we promised the promised land. We're going to live in houses we didn't build. Where's that at? Across the river. So they're in the side of the Jordan. So they make it and say, well, we're going to send some spies in, 12, one from each tribe, and we're going to wait until they come back. Well, we don't know. They don't have a calendar. There's no wall clock. How long have they been gone? I don't know. been gone a while now. Well, maybe they got killed or maybe they got lost. Forty days later, they show back up carrying this huge cluster of grapes. Man, if you think this is something, you ought to see the rest of the stuff. Whoa. Everybody gets excited when God shows up. Well, it's about to get interesting. So they came back to the community and they showed them all they had taken. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land that you sent us to explore. It is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there, they're powerful. Well, that's negative. What do you mean? They're powerful. Their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Now, the descendants of Anak are a half-breed between a fallen angel and a human. They 10 foot, two inches tall, had six fingers, six toes. They're not human. They're a half breed. That's the one, <laughs> that's the one David killed down there in that little ditch that day. What was that? That's a fallen angel. That's why he told Saul, I'll kill him. He's dead already. He ain't got no covenant with God. I'll kill him dead. And so there were five. They had four brothers. That's why he had five stones, by the way, if you don't know that. He had one for each brother. You know, I'll kill every one of them. David said they, he has no covenant with God. He'll never have a covenant with God. I have a covenant. He said, I killed a lion, I killed a bear, and I killed this big boy. And then when he killed him, he took his head off and took it home and set it on the dresser because they didn't have trophy shops back then. <laughs> it's in the Bible. But the people there are powerful, their towns are large. The Malachites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Hill Country, the Canaanites live along the coast, the Mediterranean Sea, and along the Jordan Valley. Well, everybody got wound up. Whoa. Whoa. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread a bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anybody that goes there. All the people we saw there are huge. We saw giants in the sense of Anak. Next to them, we look like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Because we asked them, what do you think about me? You look like a grasshopper. Thank you very much. 
Everybody got upset. Now, for the sake of time, I'll just paraphrase the rest of it. You can read it. It's in numbers. Everybody's upset. And so they sat up all night crying. They're crying and they're fasting. Oh, dear God. Oh, dear God. So the next day, here's what they're saying. God brought us here to kill us. He just brought us out to kill us. And so <laughs> Moses and Aaron are on their face. They're trying to pray and whatever. And say, oh, God, we, we should have stayed in Egypt. Oh, if we'd only stayed in Egypt. Oh, if we'd only died in the wilderness. We should have dropped dead in the wilderness. And so they're talking all nuts. Now, these are people who have come uh, across the Dead Sea that got, you know, split, that killed the Egyptian army, all of them. The Bible says God tested them ten times on the way to the wilderness. Not tempted, God can't tempt, but he tested them. No water, <laughs> no food, I mean, cloud. It's like they gripped the whole way. They gripped. Ten times I tried. What God's saying, ten times I tried to get them to use their faith. Well, the Bible says those twelve came back. Ten gave an evil report. Two gave a good report. Joshua and Caleb gave a good, they, they all saw the same thing, ate the same food, slept in the same place, but 10 saw, yeah, man, this is man. No, man, that's awesome, man, we've got a big house, let's go get it. What was the difference? Two had faith, 10 did not. Without faith, you will never please God. Without faith, you'll never whip the devil. And you'll collapse at every nasty thing that comes on the news. I tell you, they'll find a cure for the Wuhan flu. They will. But then there's going to be a Wuhan flu. <laughs> and a Duhan flu and a Yuhan flu. There's going to be a new flu coming out. There, there's been disease since the beginning of time. Right. Do you understand? You got the scripture, by Jesus Christ we are healed. Have you ever been attacked? Sure. Man, I've had kids get hit on by some drunk drivers and, you know, almost killed everybody. I've, I've been through stuff. I had a daughter, 18-month daughter, almost died of a, a disease that we'd never heard of. But we came out of all of them. You know, she owns half my publishing company today. She's real smart. I thought, well, she'll be mentally retarded. She's going to lose her hearing. For 10 days, was just news from hell. She's going to die. She's going to have no hearing. And so, well... I mean, we're in intensive care for 10 days. This is an 18-month-old baby. I thought, what did I do so wrong? Did I open a door? Did I sin? Do I need to repent? Do I need to forgive? What did I do? I didn't do nothing. All I did was pray in the Holy Ghost for 10 days, and I just sit there. What's happening? I don't know, but it's in God. This is not God. Well, finally came in, and the doctor said, I have a spiritual doctor. He said, Joe, she's going to live. She's not going to die. And all I said was, all right. But, but uh, the, the, the disease has done damage, and she's going to be mentally retarded. And so we're going to get her some special education. We'll send them in tomorrow. And so when he left, all I could say was, my baby has the mind of Christ. My baby has the mind. Of, did you feel anything? I didn't feel nothing. I'm tired. I haven't shaved. My baby has the mind of Christ. Well, they came in two Hey, Joe, her mind's fine, but she's lost hearing in both ears. And so we're going to get her some special hearing aids. She's 18 months old. They're going to fit her with hearing aids. So he left. And all I can say is, my baby has the ear of the learned. My baby has the ear of the learned. My baby has the ear of the learned. Well, they came back three days later. Well, the hearing's back. So day 10, a doc came in. He said, well, we can't find anything else wrong with her. I guess you can take her home. <laughs> Every Christian has to fight the fight of faith. Nobody's immune to the tests and trials of life. 
But when they come, all you need to know, that's why you need to be sitting in church here. You need to show up and they open the doors. You need to show up and open the doors for pastor. You need to usher and greet and teach Sunday school, help out and sweep and mop and clean the toilet. You need to be a part of the local church because we are the only thing happening on this planet. This is where life is. I told him yesterday during the seminar, eventually everything on this planet is going to disappear. Whatever you think is important, it's going to burn up one day. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Two things last forever. The words of this book, the words of this book, and the people of God. I'm eternal. I'm going to last forever. I got family members that said, Bother you getting older? Dear Lord, I'm not old. I'm barely out of the womb. I'm going to live forever. I mean, forever. You know, forever? Whoa. <laughs> like a million years? No, like a quadrillion, trillion years. I'm going to live forever. There's no number. Forever will I live. And so this body one day, I'll probably get old and drop off and I'll get me new. But I plan to be here when the rapture happens. I've always believed that. I've always believed that. What's going to happen? I'll be here when the trumpet sounds. And I want to be the last person off this planet. I want to have dirt under my fingernails when I get to heaven. Jesus, I was the last one off. I locked the door. Let's sit down and have dinner. Praise God. <laughs> and so you've got to have an attitude because hell is relentless trying to scare us with something bad finance, the economy. I said, I'm not, I don't belong to this economy. God's charged my, when I, when I was taken out of the kingdom of darkness, placed in the kingdom of God to their son, I left hell and I became a child of God. Now I know I'm on an alien planet. I'm behind enemy lines, but I'm like Ephesians 6. I have a heaven of salvation, a breastplate of righteousness, sword of the spirit. I'm in a war and I've been promised victory. I have to fight, but I've been promised victory. I have to fight, but I've been promised victory. So as a family member, my family knows, man, when hell lands, Joe's just going to be okay. going to be fine. You sure? Sure. If I'm not, if you call the house and you can't get me, I went to heaven. <laughs> but, but, but call back in case you don't get a ring. Maybe I was out. <laughs> You're laughing. I'm very serious. And so I'm the one they, they look to. Joe's still here? Okay, it's good. It's good. Joe's still here. So anyhow, God looks at Moses and he gets mad. He said, listen, I'm tired of all that thumb-sucking, whining, that's it, I've had it, I'm going to kill every one of them. Moses, I'll start all over with you. So Moses, it's in the Bible, I'm just quoting. Moses said, well, God, that's not going to look good. I mean, all the miracles you did and bringing them out and parting the Red Sea and, and people are going to talk bad about you. They're just going to. I mean, after you did all the miracles and saved them, then you killed them all. That's not going to make you look good. I'm not making this. God said, yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, we'll keep them. But I'm not taking that older bunch into the promised land. I'll take their kids in. So everybody 20 years of age and up, take them back in the wilderness, and they're going to stay there until they all drop dead. Then I'll take their children in. And so Moses tells them, and they start crying. No, no, we changed our mind. We'll, we'll go. We'll, we'll go. And they try to go. And Moses said, no, you can't go because God's not going to go with you. No, we'll, we'll, we'll go. Well, they went over the next day and 12,000 of them died. And they came back. That wasn't good. <laughs> God told he wasn't going with him. They go back in the wilderness. So 40 years go by. Now Joshua and Caleb, they believe God. Now they're, they're around age 40. Well, now they come back 40. They're 80 years of age. Well, and the Bible says the 10 gave the evil report. They died that week. They dropped. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. It's good to believe God. I believe God. Shonda. 
And so we all believe God by faith. What do you think God's doing? I don't know, but it's going to work out for my good. What are you going through? Tough time. What is it? Well, God's going to work out for my good. Whatever the devil steals, he has to pay back seven times. I'm the redeemed Lord, and I'm going to say so my whole life. I'm blessed and highly favored. I cannot go under. I'm only going over. And you got to get that in you so deep that the world news doesn't mess with you. By the way, turn the news off. There's nothing good on there anyhow. So, 40 years so they come back. <laughs> Here's this 80-year-old man. They're getting ready to cross the river again. And so he tells them, hey, listen, we cross this river. You see that big hill right there? That's mine. Stay off of it. That's mine. And the Bible says that 80-year-old man outran everybody at the top of that hill. My, I've been waiting 40 years for this. That's mine. And I like 80-year-old men that are that aggressive. Just meaner than snot. That's mine. I whip you. And there has to be a thing of faith where you realize, how bad do you want it? And what happens when we go through anything, sickness, finance, we'll call our friends. Hey, hey, how's it going with you? Hey, hey, how you doing? Quit calling people. Because you're not going to get a good report. Their cheerleaders of hell will show up. They'll come out of the woodwork. And most of them will come from your family. I remember when Corey was diagnosed with meningitis. I never heard so much stupidity in all my life. And it's like, oh my goodness. So I said, I, we allow no visitors. None. Can we come in? Nope. We'll see you when we get out. And I wouldn't let anybody come in. And I thought, what's wrong with the preacher? I'm righteous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to come in crying. Well, well, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully she'll live. Get yourself out of here. So Jesus did the same thing. You know, I'm going to raise this girl from the dead, but we've got to get these squalling unbelievers out of here first. Jesus did the same thing. I'm not going to hang around doubt and unbelief. Now, I'm not goofy and I'm not weird. I still watch a ball game on TV. I still like to hunt and fish. And I'll shoot a quail dead in a doornail. And I'll deep fry. <laughs> there were two rabbits at the hotel this morning, big old rabbit. I thought, how come somebody's killed these things? Man, they were big old rabbits. <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, man, if my uncle was here, that would be dead. We put those in the trunk. We're going to cook them later. <laughs> I can't share too much with my family. Get mad, but we've driven down the road before in the country in East Tennessee, and some's been hit, you know. <laughs> now I'm being with a cousin. So, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, What are you doing? Wait, back up, back up. Back. And so he got out and just, How dead was it? It wasn't dead enough. He put it in the trunk, and we took that thing home and cooked it. Would you eat dead stuff, roadkill? You ever had roadkill? Sure have. We fried it. <laughs> we, we fry everything. Uh, pork fat, bacon grease, makes everything taste good. God told Peter, that sheep come down with all those animals. He said, kill and eat, son. Kill and eat. No, I might not be able to eat. Oh, yeah, you can do that. Kill and eat. So I'll eat anything. I love, I love to eat. My mom ran the high school cafeteria for 30 years. 30 years. And so I played football and baseball, so all my buddies would go through the lunch line with me. Because they knew if, they, if they're with me, my mom's going to double, double the meatloaf, double the chicken breast, double whatever we, you get double if you're with Joe. Got to go with Joe. So I had good friends in high school. <laughs> <laughs> and so the world is going crazy, but we don't have to. Now let me kind of close with something you need to know. God sees something going on down in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And Abraham's been there with Lot, his, his goofy nephew. And so they're fighting because they're both getting rich and herds of sheep and cattle. And so there's a war between all their herdsmen. And so they had to get together one day. And so Abraham, the father of faith, said, here, nephew, I tell you what, you choose which land would you like. I'm going to give you first choice. Now, I'm the man of God, but I'm going to give you first choice because I am the man of God. And so Lot chose, he, I want to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Fine, have whatever you want. So he takes off. Well, you know, time goes by, so pretty soon two angels show up one day. And they, hey, come out here, Abraham, and they talk to you. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, we've heard some bad news down at Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to go down and check it out and see if it's as bad as we hear. He said, what's going to happen? Well, God's going to judge the place. So Abraham said, well, uh, well, uh, well, what if you can just find 50 people? Because I know there's not probably many down there because this is a big city. But what if you could find 50 people? If you can find 50 good people, good people, will you promise not to destroy it? And the angel said, uh-huh. Oh, really? Oh, well, hey, don't get upset, but hey, 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 what if you can only find 40? What if you only find 40 good people? Would you promise not to destroy it? And he said, mm-hmm. Whoa, well, please don't get mad. I don't want to, but what if you only find 30? And he took them down to 10. And every time he asked, said, will you spare the whole city for 10? Yep. He should have gone to eight and he didn't. <laughs> That's why Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. The world's pulling on all people, every generation from the beginning of time. The devil did in the Garden of Eden. Are you sure God said? Are you sure God said? He's challenging the Word of God. Now, Satan's a fallen angel. He's not God. He can't read your mind. The devil does not know what you're thinking. He knows what you're saying, but he doesn't know what you're thinking. The Bible says you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're praying the perfect will of God, and the devil doesn't understand a word you say. What are you doing? I'm just shot out hicking more. What you're saying? I don't know myself. I'm praying the perfect will of God, though. Angels are flapping wings, and things are busy. So I think the devil knows there's angelic activity, and it's not going to be good for him. So anyhow, I'm told my, when my kids started leaving home, I said, guys, I've had you in church all your life. I birthed you, I bathed you, I taught you how to talk and walk, pass algebra, diagram a sentence, I got you a date for the prom, I bought your first car, I got you into college, uh, paid for your graduation, uh, I'm going to send you on your honeymoon, I paid for your wedding. Now all my kids, and, uh, Angel's kids, all of our kids went to college and graduated, Christian college. But at every wedding, at every wedding, I held my hand down. I said, put your door key in my hand. They said, what? I said, put your door key in my hand, and don't you ever come back to my house unless I invite you. And I love you. I got the cancer sex to prove it. Great vacations. Man, we've been all over this country. Great vacation. Ten-day vacation every year, and I paid for everything. I'm good. I'm like Santa Claus stuck upside down in your chimney. <laughs> but the Bible says God gave you to me on loan. Children are from God. He's loaned them to me to train and teach them. Then I'm eventually supposed to give them back to God. I'm supposed to give them back. So I've done everything I can do. You got your college education, got your spouse. I paid for your wedding. Have a great honeymoon. But don't you ever come to my house unless I invite you. And so people think I'm being rude or mean. I said, I'm not. So every kid put their door key in my hand. I said, if you come to my house, call first. Don't just pull up my driveway because I won't open the door. Now, I live way out in the country. I like your people. I live, I live at the end of a mile and seven-tenths of dirt road. You don't drive past my house. You have to come there on purpose. And so I got dogs that don't have any kind of degree or name. 
and I have them for that reason. <laughs> and by the way, I don't want to get a nasty letter, so don't rob me. I don't ever feed my dogs. We never fed our dogs in the country. My grandfather had a 400-acre farm below Kimsey Mountain in Turtletown, Tennessee. We never fed no dog. You don't feed your dog? They're a dog. <laughs> they get their own food. <laughs> they hunt. Now, you can hear them. Those old hounds. <laughs> What's that? Well, they're looking for supper. Go get it, big boy. <laughs> because if you don't get your own food, you're going to be dead. And we would take vacation every year, two-week vacation, go camping in, in foothills of the Smoky Mountains every year. And my dad loved trout fishing, and we loved camping in the mountains. And every, I'd pet my dogs, and I've had a bunch of them. I remember old Brummy, he's old kind of black, half lab, half something else. And I'm petting in the front yard, and I said, buddy, you be good. We'll be back in two weeks. We got car, we left. You didn't have anybody feed him? No, he's a dog. <laughs> so we came back two weeks later, there's dead possums, there's dead raccoon, and a couple of dead rabbits, what's left of them. He had his dinner all over the yard. He did it real good. And I had to spend half a day picking all that dead stuff up, but he's a dog. Now, please don't write me a nasty letter because I have a new wife now. Thank goodness she doesn't like dogs either because she had a lot of them when she was younger. And so... You know, you ever walk down, there's a whole aisle at the grocery store, a whole aisle dedicated to dogs and cats. 25% of our nation is starving to death, but we have a whole aisle just for dogs and cats. And they have pretty design and labels. I said, it's dead horse meat. It's dead horse meat. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Shoot it. Dog meat. And so people buy, and I've seen people at a grocery checking out, and they're spending a small fortune on, you got a, you got a cat? I love my cat. <laughs> now, Pastor Willie, Pastor Willie, he's been my pastor forever. Pastor Willie said, I, <laughs> the Hankers church ever got a him one Sunday. He said, you know, people said, I don't love cats. Well, I do. I got one mount on the other side of my fireplace. And about a half a dozen people got up and walked out of him that morning like, well, we lost somebody on that one. That's probably, don't share that again. <laughs> now, if you got animals, the Bible says take care of them. Take care of them. So, when my father-in-law went to heaven, because in five years we buried our parents, our father-in-law, so I buried a bunch of people in five years back in Tennessee. And so, when he died, he had a little dog. He had a little shih tzu. That sounds like cussing, doesn't it? Shih tzu. And so, he only had one eye. Uh, missing half his teeth. My, my wife found it at, a, at, the, at the dog pound. And she got it and brought it home to her dad because her dad, his wife's died. They've been married like 50 something years. So he thought it'd be good for him. And he loved that dog. For three years, he'd pet that dog. That dog would sleep in the foot of his bed, sit on the couch. And he'd feed it. He'd drive down Chick fil A once a day and buy chicken. And it's just, <laughs> he left. Well, when my father died, we're in there doing the funeral. So we're getting ready to come back to Oklahoma. And so my wife said, Well, Joe, <clears throat> You got to go. And so she had that dog under her arm. So we're doing that dog. We got to bring that dog home with us. Oh, no, 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 no. That dog didn't come with us. No, no. It's my dad's dog, Joe. We got to take this dog. What are we going to do with it? We're going we're gonna to raise it. Okay. <laughs> so 
We drove 700 miles back to Oklahoma, and that night, that dog, that dog, he'd been used to sleeping on the foot of the bed. He didn't know any different. So we get in our bedroom, and I never have a dog in the house. I've had dogs, good dogs, and I took care of them. And I got to where I would feed them. But they don't come in the house. They're no house dog. And so that old dog jumped up on the foot of our bed. And so, and I said, I said, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? I said, well, Joe, he's used to sleep. He'll stay at the foot of the bed. So I fell asleep, because I fell asleep real quick. So somewhere in the middle of the night, that dog worked his way up toward the middle of us. And I felt him coming. And I, I'm not exaggerating. I took my leg and I put that dog on the ceiling. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> and that, and my wife woke up and what did you do? I kicked that dog, you're not gonna have that dog on me, I want that dog on my face. And so I slept on the couch for three nights. <laughs> now I'm trying to close, I'm trying to give you something that'll help you. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, it means blessed are the problem solvers. We were created to be problem solvers. So anyhow, uh, I'm up somewhere, like Michigan or somewhere, doing a seminar, and my wife calls to Joe, something wrong with Scooter. Uh, that was the dog. I said, well, take him to the vet. You know, dear Lord, God, I don't ever, we never went to a vet. We never took a dog to a vet. We just shot him. What's wrong with you? He's sick. <laughs> Boom. We shoot him, and we buried him. I grew up in the country, country. We didn't take him to no vet. We just go shoot him and get another one. <laughs> Lord, I'm sorry. Don't rot me. And so, so anyhow, my wife calls later that evening, and she's, and she's crying. I said, what's wrong? Well, Joe, they, Scooter, they need to cut his tongue out. Now, I'm real quiet. My wife, she's a real solid woman, but I thought, so I just sat there real quiet. I said, did you hear? Yeah, they need to cut his tongue out. Yeah. Well, honey, how's he going to swallow? Well, he won't be able to. They're going to hook him up to an IV, send him home with an IV, and we have to go in once a week and get the IV chased out. And I said, can they not cut out part of the tongue? Okay, well, I ask. And I like, cut it. Yes, the doctor said he can just cut out part of it, and we'll hope that'll work, but it's a dangerous operation. I said, well, honey, it's better than having no tongue. Huh? Come on. Five o'clock in the morning, she called. She's crying. You know, Scooter died. And I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I get home. I said, Joe, can I have Scooter cremated? I said, sure you can. So for $350, we had that worthless dog cremated and put in a little box with his picture on the front and a brass nameplate, Scooter. And I used to tell him, I said, you think those, those dogs ass in that box, I'm gonna, I got some most front property in Arizona I'm gonna sell you. Th that is not those dogs ass. But we had a, and so when my wife went to heaven about five years ago, I'm kind of cleaning up the house and getting my life back together. And on the fireplace, there was that dead dog. And, and that thing went in the dumpster. I just. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in my office like that evening. I'm typing away. And I heard this voice. It sounded like my wife, but it was God. <laughs> and I heard the voice. You know, when you get to heaven, she's going to ask you about that dog. I said, no, she's not. Nobody's going to remember that dog. And I'm just typing away. About an hour later, you get to heaven, she's going to ask you about that dog. <laughs> so I went out in the garage, dug through the trash, pulled that dog out and washed it off. I put him back on the mantle. <laughs> now, when I married Angel three years ago, that afternoon, I came home and that dog went back in the dump. <laughs> <laughs>
Love's about giving your life away. Do you know that? That's who we are as Christians. We're going to do well. She said, I'm here to be a blessing. And that's what you're going to do. The things I do, you do also. You're going to give water to the thirsty, food to the hungry. You're going to help orphans. You're going to help widows. You're going to visit people in prison. You're going to nurse sick people back to health. You are a problem-solving machine. You're not a thumb sucker. You're not a grapper. You're a problem solver. That's what Christians do. We are the salt and the light of this planet. I don't care what they're doing in the government. My only deal is I'm to pray for the government. And I pray for every president we've ever had. Good, bad, in between. What's my job? If I'm going to live a quiet, peaceful life in all God's honesty, I am to pray for those in authority, 2 Timothy. So I pray for my president every day. Did you vote for him? I'm not going to tell you. Take a guess. <laughs> but I pray for him. God bless him. Send labors across his path. Take blindness off his mind. Enlighten the eyes of his understanding. Have good people speak into his life in Jesus' name. Because God told Daniel, God told Daniel to pray for Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar had invaded his, his town in Israel, killed his parents, burnt down his house, killed his pet goat, and made him a slave. So Daniel's a slave in Babylon. And God says, hey, 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 I need you to pray for old Nebuchadnezzar. You're kidding. I got a prayer. I pray a she bear rip his eyeballs out, spit down his throat. God says, no, wrong prayer, wrong prayer, no. No, I need you to pray that he has a peaceful day. The man who killed my parents and my pet goat? Yes, yes, it's real important. I need you to pray he has a peaceful day. Well, like he's going to get saved, become an evangelist? No, he's going to turn to a bitty goat and eat grass for seven years. He's going to go pretty much weird. But I need you to pray that he has a peaceful day. And he said, why? Well, because if he has a peaceful day, you're going to have a peaceful day. But if he didn't have a peaceful day, you're probably coming home early. We have so much power, but we don't know how it works. We can pray for those in authority. Not the ones we voted for, pray for all in authority. I pray twice a day, Father. I pray for a president, my senator, my congressman, my representative. Give them wisdom, send labors across the path. Talk to them when they go to sleep when they get up. Give them the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God. Help them make wise decisions for our country. I pray it every day. So when I get to heaven, what you do? I did what you said. I pray for all those in authority, whether I voted for them or not. I got the stupid bumper stickers off my truck. I don't cuss them. I don't talk bad about them. And you can, you can call Angel. Ever since the election, what you said about the president? Nothing. Say anything good? No. Say anything bad? No. You ever talk about it? No, I just pray for him. I pray for my president twice a day. Twice a day. Since the day he got elected. Now, the first two days was hard. But I pray it with great joy now because that's what I'm supposed to do. We're the salt and we're the light, guys. We're the ones making a difference in our community, in our church. So every day you get up, just say something good. Like, this is the day the Lord has made. I am going to rejoice and be glad in it. God's going to order my steps and direct my paths. I'm surrounded with divine favor. People like me, they don't even know why. So it starts with your own home. What are you? I'm a problem solver in my home. What's going on? I don't know, but it's my responsibility. What else your kids flunk out? That's my responsibility. What else they get arrested for drunk driving? That's my responsibility. What else somebody bounces a check? That's my responsibility. I'm the head of my home, and that's my responsibility. Because I'm not the head dictator, I'm the head servant. Jesus said, you want to be great in my kingdom? Become the servant of all. And that's what we get to do. We're in the greatest day of human history. Don't mess it up. Let's go home shouting, not griping all the way. Because there are chicken-legged Christians in heaven. You know, when I went to family reunion, they had the big table that the adults sat at. And then they had a card table. 
And you knew when you were an adult, you got to go to the big table. Because most of the time you're at the card table. Because we had a big family, big table. I mean, huge table. And so, so at, the, at the card table, when they had chicken, and we had chicken every meal, it was God's meal. You got a chicken leg on your plate. And we got the paper plate. We didn't have real plates. That's the big table. We're eating off a paper plate. What do you have? Well, I have a chicken leg because I'm a chicken leg Christian. I believe when you get to heaven eventually, you know, you get there, you're going to see St. Peter. Hey, St. Peter, so good to be here. Well, son, have a seat just a minute. Let's see what you've done. So they're just going to start reading off your whole life. What you've done in faith, out of faith, in the will of God, out of the will of God. And they're just going to read your whole life. they got a book. This is all the days of your life have been recorded in heaven. Everything you said, everything you thought has been recorded. And so they're going to pile it up like, man, I knew I was busy, Lord. I didn't know I was that busy. Boy, I did a lot of stuff. And said, man, who's going to help me carry my stuff in? Well, St. Peter said, well, no, we got to test fire it first. There might be some junk in here. I try to imagine a big hairy angel coming up behind a curtain, shooting a ball of fire out of one. Boom! And my whole pile of stuff disappears. Where'd you take my stuff, St. Peter? He said, son, you don't have any stuff. you got no stuff. You're a chicken leg Christian. Here, hang this around your neck. You don't have a mansion, but you can hold the door of somebody else's. Maybe they'll invite you in. You're a chicken leg Christian. So I believe in all of eternity, there'll be people walking the pretty streets with a chicken leg around their neck. <laughs> oh, you're a chicken leg Christian. <laughs> and you're going to meet Noah and Moses and Jeff. You're going to meet all of them. Oh, the chicken leg. Hey, did you see the chicken leg Christian? And for eternity, for eternity, for time you can't count, you're going to be a chicken leg Christian. You have a mansion? No, I was a chicken leg Christian. But I made it to heaven. Thank God. I made it in. I made it in. I'm here. I got my chicken leg. <laughs> and somebody's going to remember this story because it's true. All the mansions in heaven are not the same size. All the rewards are not the same. We're laying up treasure in heaven every day here. What are you doing? I get to lay up treasure in heaven every day. How I treat people, how I respond to people, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because we all got ugly people in our life. You know good biscuit eating north end of a southbound God bless you. God bless you. You are blessed. You just, you're a blessing. Because every time the devil gets your mouth moving the wrong direction, hell's going to show up. And it'll get worse. Well, I'm still warm. My life didn't work out because your mouth's moving the wrong direction. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So let's stand up. We're going to leave you in a little confession here. The Bible says, let the weak say I'm strong. So I want everybody to say, I'm strong. Well, I believe that. The Bible says, let the poor say I'm rich. I want everybody to say, I'm rich. I'm rich. Now, you are that because you've been redeemed from the curse of the law, which is poverty, sickness, and death. We've been placed in the family of God. Now, we're still growing in the things of God. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day, but they get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. There are no perfect Christians. They don't exist. I know we got married. We thought we married somebody wonderful. No, we didn't. We married a doofus. We just didn't know it yet. It takes a few weeks to realize I didn't know that about you. Well, it's going to be a revelation until you've been married for 80 years. Every day you're going to learn something new. Well, I didn't know that about you. Because they're going to change. Men marry women thinking they'll never change. Women marry men thinking, I'll change him tomorrow. And both are lies. If God hadn't changed it, you can't change it. But that's the adventure. God, it's not, not, it's not good for men being, I'm going to make you a helper. And so God put men and women together to be a blessing. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to help them when they're weak and uh, when they're sick. I'll nurse them back to health. Uh, you know, I clean up the mess. Uh, I'm a blessing. I'm here to be a blessing. So you do it in good times and bad. We said to marry somebody, good times and bad. And so what we want to do, God's watching us. 
right now. They're recording angels, and they just watch me right now. Even if I think something, an angel writes it down. And I'm telling Lord, help me be a blessing today. Even when I go to the airport a little bit, I want to be a blessing. Whoever I meet, I want to smile at them. I want to be nice to the ticket counter lady. I'm not, every time I smile, I say something nice, because most of the time they get yelled at, cussed at, yelled at. I've never seen public treat people so rude in public. And when the people come by to serve you and want some water, I say, ma'am, I'll take anything you got. Anything particular? No, ma'am, I'll just take plain old water. You got any water? Yes, we do. God bless you. And try to smile, say something. And so leave people better than you find them. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we get to do. Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. According to your word, Father, you said we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Father, we're problem solvers, not problem makers. Father, just like they did when they crossed the Red Sea, Father. What are you going to do? We're not going to gripe. We're not going to complain. We're going to say what you say. This is the day you have made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. So we thank you for it, Father. We thank you for this year, this decade. Help us be a blessing. Put us in the middle of your will in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Every head bowed just for 60 seconds, one short minute, and I'm going to let you go. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Two questions. Are you here this morning, and you say, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never asked him into my heart, but God's been dealing with me. Well, if that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. But if that's you, in a few seconds, I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand, wave it at me, and put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. Or perhaps you're today, say, Joe, I'm saved. I just haven't been living for God lately. But I've been stirred today. I'd like to rededicate my life today. Well, if that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer of Romans. They're going to pray with these other people. And God in heaven will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. He will take your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will put it in the depths of the sea. There'll be no record of your sin in heaven. And God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from it. So right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, say, Joe, that's me. Would you pray for me? I want to get saved today. Or Joe, would you pray for me? I want to rededicate my life. If that's you on either count right now, would you just get your hand up and wave it up and put it right, right down? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your bonus. Thank you. Thank you there. Yes, over there. Thank you there. Over there. Anyone else? Yes. Right there. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. Hands down, heads bowed, and eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raised your hands, we're going to pray with you. And God's going to do the greatest miracle he can do. He's going to save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's help them pray. Everybody say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me. And you raised him from the dead. I ask him now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the hands that went up this morning, either for the first time ever or as a simple reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to your holy word and their obedience as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You're their shepherd. They're going to hear your voice 
and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. As they lead today, Father, surround them with a shield of divine favor. May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And Father, bring godly friends into the life that will strike iron and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We welcome both into the family and back into the fold in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Pastor.